leadership team. Isn't that, isn't that awesome to see somebody using their gifts, stretching themselves, growing a little bit, and serving? I think that's great. Uh, my name is Roly Resendez. I am the associate pastor here. And before we get too far, I do want to dismiss the youth. You guys are excused to head over to meet Jeremy on the left-hand side over there. Look at that horde of youth. Isn't that great? Let's celebrate that too, huh? Let's get it for Jeremy, the youth, all that they're doing. So, as I mentioned, I've been here for almost three years. It's been a, an awesome three years that I've been here at Discovery um, God has grown me in ways that I never thought imaginable. In fact, standing here is one of those ways that I never thought imaginable, even as early as five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> but here I am nonetheless, and I am so grateful that God is using me and growing me, and I've loved getting to know you guys, uh, and I look forward to how God has can continue to grow me and use me, and uh, I look forward to getting to know you guys even more. I want to take a minute and introduce my family. Here's a picture of my family. That's my, yeah, I can celebrate my family. I love them. That's my beautiful wife, Danny. She and I have been married almost 12 years. That's Levi on her lap and Emerson next to me. They're four and five. Um, Danny is very shy behind the scenes, hates the fact that I'm talking about her right now. But she's the one who's responsible for making the stage look the way it looks instead of being just flat black. Yeah, absolutely. She's responsible for having good coffee instead of just you know, regular coffee pot. She makes the Discovery Group board look awesome. And so I love the fact that she gets to serve and to use her gifts. And then the next picture is of me and my kids. And so usually what happens on Sunday mornings, I'll show up at 8 o'clock and we'll set up and get the, the band ready. And then my wife will come and she'll set up. And so we need some, somewhere for the kids to come. And so they come with their instruments and they get to jam out with the worship team. They get to be part of the band. And they love, they love doing that. And so for me, I love that my kids get to be a part of my ministry because the fact is that God is the one who empowers me and allows me to be here. But if I didn't have the support of my family, there's no way I could do this. And so I love that they get to be a part of my ministry here. And so for me, that's huge. I love it. Um, and so real quick, a funny story about my family, about Emerson in particular. So she's four. I was working on this message, sitting at home, kind of, you know, working away on my laptop. And she says, Dad, what are you doing? So I'm working on a message for church. And she says, can I help? I go, yeah, sure. So she runs and she grabs a, a legal notepad and she grabs a pencil and she says, here, write this down. And I think, oh man, this is going to be good. Like She's filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to get like a good sermon out of this. And she proceeds to give me eight questions that she thought were important that we talk about. I'm going to give you just the top three. Number one, why are bears mean to people? <laughs> Number two, why are gorillas so fierce? Those are her words. And then number three, my personal favorite, why are blankets so cuddly? <laughs> it's going to be a weird message, but I'm going to try and work that into Ephesians. It's going to be really funky, but we're going to make it happen. Hey, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We want everyone to have a Bible, and if you need one, we've got ushers ready to pass one out. We will have the, the scripture up on the screen, the page number. It'll be on the app. But if you don't own a Bible, please raise your hand, and you can take this one, and it's yours to keep. Um, we are in the middle of our Ephesians series, halfway through, week four, um, and we are going to continue to truck along, and from the video, you saw that we had three goals for us as a church during this series. Number one, that we would see the greatness of God. Number two, that we would walk in light of the gospel, and number three, that we would stand firm in who God has called us to be. And so we've been working our way through the first two chapters of this book. We get to see the greatness of God. We get to see the wow 
all that he has planned, all that he's done for us. And we're going to get to start to progress into the walk where we get to remember what it is that God has done for us, where the gospel should become real to us. And then eventually, as we close the series out, we are going to be seen where we get to stand firm with the armor of God and who he has called us to be. This morning, we are going to be covering Ephesians 2, 11 through 3, 13. It's huge. It's a gigantic chunk of scripture. And we're going to read the whole thing. And I know that some of you who know me well are thinking, man, you're going to get winded. You are not going to be able to read the whole thing. And we're going to take a break. We'll take a breather halfway through because it is really long. So in your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 2. And it's, uh, I think, page 830-something. 837, right there. Uh, And uh, we'll start at verse 11. And it says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember, you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, you guys still with me? Yeah? Okay, let's keep going. Chapter 3, we'll finish it up. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's uh, grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. All right. Whew, that is a mouthful, right? That is good. All right, you guys get it? We got it? Everyone understand? Sweet. See you next week. No, I'm kidding. We will, we're going to dig into that. We're going to unpack that a lot more, but let's start by praying. Heavenly Father, God, it is a blessing that we get to come and do this, um, that we have the freedom to come and, and to gather like this, to worship to learn more about who you are, God, and to ask for more of you. And so this morning, God, we ask that you would come, um, that, that you would use me, um, and we would hear from you only, God, and not from me this morning. We love you, and we thank you for this opportunity. In your name I pray, amen. 
So have you guys ever done this? This is something I do quite a bit. When I'm driving around and I get stuck in traffic or I'm at a stoplight, I'll look at the car next to me and I'll see the person sitting there and I'll think, wow, I bet that person has like a whole life going on. I bet they have all kinds of busyness, things to do, maybe stresses, and I, have, I know nothing about them. And I do that a lot. I'll pull up to another stoplight and I'll see the person kind of sitting there, whether they're listening to music or just kind of staring off, and I think, I bet they've got a life also. And I have no clue what that life is. Do you know there's actually a word for that? Some guy made up this word, and it's on Urban Dictionary, so it's got to be real. And that word is sonder. And this is what it means. The realization that each random passerbyer is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground with elaborate passageways to thousands of other lives that you'll never know existed. That's exactly what I think when I'm at a stop sign, right? I mean, that's deep. So maybe not quite, but I do feel like I have some experience with that. Before moving to Davis and Woodland, um, I feel like I knew this. I grew up in Northern California my whole life, but I'd never actually been to Davis, never been to Woodland. It was just a name on the map. Um, the only experience that we ever really had with Woodland or Davis is on occasion my wife and I would drive from our home in Paradise to like San Francisco or to the beach and we'd cut across on 113. And we would drive through and there was this huge house off on the right hand side of 113 that have all these palm trees that line the driveway and we'd be like, oh, there's that cool house. And that was the thing that we knew about Woodland. And then for Davis, we'd be coming home on 80 and my wife would say, oh, let's stop in Davis. They have a Del Taco. And that was like... That was what we knew about Davis because she loved Del Taco and we didn't have one in Paradise, right? So that was our experience with Davis. We knew nothing about Discovery. We knew nothing about the people. We knew nothing about the hot dogger. I mean, there's all kinds of amazing things that we knew nothing about. And then we moved here and we knew about Davis and we knew about Woodland. Um, but it was still just a place on the map. It wasn't all the cool things that made us love Davis. We realized that it was the people that we had fallen in love with the people, and that is what made this place home. And I think that this is what Paul is talking about in the passage of Ephesians that we're looking at, the idea that God is building a people, not a place. He's taking people from all kinds of different backgrounds, and he's bringing us together to build a church. That's us. I mean, have you really ever taken time to think how cool it is that this church actually works? Right? Like, how, how crazy is that God can take all these people from different backgrounds, different opinions, different preferences, bring us together, and it works. Not only that, but we are so into it that we give of our time and of our finances. Like, it's an amazing thing that this actually works. You know, and so this morning, we're going to spend some time remembering. This passage of Ephesians is cool because it's the first time they're actually told to do something. Up until now, it's been just observe God and how awesome he is. Like, wow. But this morning, Paul is telling us to remember. Take time and remember. And so there are four things that I want you to remember this morning. I'm going to give you all the answers now because sometimes it's just easier to get the answers. Number one, I want you to remember that God, the gospel is for all people. Number two, I want you to remember that God has a heart for reaching the nations. Number three, I want you to remember that God is building a people, not a place. And number four, that God is using us to make his wisdom known. Okay, we are going to take time this morning to do some remembering because today is actually a really special day for our church. Today is our 15-year anniversary as a church. That's what we're celebrating, yeah. So, each of you should have got a noisemaker on your way in, right? As a church, we need to do a better job of celebrating. Last week... 
James came up here and he said, hey, if something moves you and you feel like saying amen, say amen. I've got the same message, but I want to hear from more than just Jake and Ron this morning, okay? And Jake is back in the kids, which means I'm down to just Ron. And so I want to hear from more than Ron this morning. So you, you guys have got some noisemakers. We're going to celebrate. And you need to blow these. Okay, it's not going to be just me up here blowing this. There we go. Yes, I love it. Okay, so this morning, we are going to remember the faithfulness of God. If you're taking notes, that's the first answer to your fill-in-the-blank. We are going to remember the faithfulness of God. Because for 15 years, God has been leading our church. For 15 years, we have seen God's faithfulness as he led us. We have seen God provide faithful men and women to spread the gospel. And we have seen God build up his church through diversity to grow and spread the gospel. The story of Discovery actually starts back in 2001, in June, with a man named Aaron Brockett. I think we have a picture of him and his family. God gave him a heart and a vision to come and plant a church. And so in 2001, he moved his entire family from Missouri to Davis, California. I mean, talk about a culture shock, right? Going from Missouri to Davis, California. I'm sure there's not a lot of similarities between those two places. But he came, he spent several months talking to people, getting to know people, and six months later... That was it. Six months later, he opened the doors of Discovery, and we had our first service. And that's the picture we've seen before. That is our very first service in the G Street Theater, a small gathering. But how awesome is that? In just six short months, the faithfulness of God began as Discovery opened its doors. Come on, celebrate, people. Right? At that time, the vision of Discovery was very simple. Love people one at a time. As Aaron spent time talking to people in Davis, he realized they just need to be loved. They need to see the love of Christ. And so that was what he was doing. He was here to love people. Over the course of the next 15 years, we would meet in three different locations. We had our G Street Theater, which is right downtown. We had the Vets Memorial Theater, which is right across the street. And then in 2006, we moved here into the Brunel Performing Arts Theater. And I want to take just a quick second to mention this, because this is another example of God's faithfulness. We got to use this building before the school even got to use it. This building was built for the school to use as their theater, but as a church, we got to use it first. How crazy is that, right? Let's celebrate that. That's God's faithfulness, right? But it gets even better because it's even more wacky how God works. The manager at that time said, you know what else I want you guys to do? I want you to build eight gigantic black storage boxes to keep all of your stuff here because it doesn't make sense for you to be hauling everything in and out every week. And so we did. We built eight gigantic boxes that are stored right here under this stage. And every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., the staff of the theater show up. They lower the stage. They wheel out the eight boxes for us. They bring the stage back up, and we set up church. How crazy is that, right? That is faithfulness right there. Provide a building and provide a way for us to store things. Shortly after we moved in here, Aaron was called out. He spent uh, a short amount of time planting the church, opening the doors, and he felt that God had led him back to Missouri, so he and his family moved back. It led to Discovery's very first lead pastor search, and it ended with John Reichert as our lead pastor. We can celebrate that, absolutely. John and his family became the new pastors of our church, and under John's leadership, we made a few changes. John had a heart, and the leadership had a heart for reaching the people of Davis. And so we moved our offices from the outskirts of Davis to the heart of downtown, a mansion square. We rented a small little office space on the third floor in hopes that someday we'd get to move to a bigger space. Not long after we rented that, we got a phone call from the manager saying, hey, 
some space opened up on the second floor, and by some space, I mean a third of the floor, and we want you guys to move in there. And we know you can't afford it, so we're going to work with you to make it work. And we also know that it's not a, a perfect space. We're willing to reconfigure it to give you offices, a kid's space, and a nice giant room to work. And so we said, sure, that sounds great. But how awesome is that? God provided this amazing space that we couldn't afford, and he made it work. So we moved to, to Mansion Square between E and F Street, and that's where our offices are. Shortly after that, a new vision for Discovery was given. Not only did we want to love people, but we wanted to be a church that reached this city because we believed it could change our world. We believed that by reaching the people of Davis, and they, as they went out, we could change the world. And that was the heart of our church, and that is the heart of our church. God has continued to be faithful as we have seen our numbers grow. We have seen our ministries grow. We have seen our staff grow. Here's a picture of our, our current staff team. Um, and it's not a, yeah, we can celebrate that, absolutely. And it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that I put Leslie and Desiree on top, because if you think it's easy to manage the personalities of myself, Jeremy, and Paul, you got another thing coming. And those two do an awesome job of taking care of us, so we put them up on top for a reason. So the most recent thing in our history is what happened in December, when after 10 years of faithful service, our lead pastor, John Reichert, felt called out. And so, trusting that God had something for him, he left. And church, we find ourselves here now in another time of transition. And so we have seen where we've been. And we have seen what God has done, the faithfulness of God. But the question is, where are we going? Church, I believe in my heart that God is going to provide the perfect person for us. That just as God called faithful men here to serve and he's called them out, that God is calling somebody else here to fill them with new life, new vision, and new purpose for us as a church, and that God will take care of us as he always has. We have seen over the last 15 years the faithfulness of God. The story of Discovery has never been about one person or a lead pastor. It's always been about Jesus Christ. It's been about how he has used faithful men and women to spread the gospel. So we've seen where we've been, but where are we going in order for us to really know where we're going, we've got to look into this, the Bible, to see where it is that God has brought us. There's something really important about remembering, and that's why Paul tells us to do that. So let's look back at verses 11 and 12. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So basically what you have are two groups of people, the uncircumcised and the circumcised. The uncircumcised were the Gentiles, basically everyone in the world except for the Jewish people. The Jewish people were considered the circumcised. That you have the Jews and you have everyone else. Like Basically that would be us. We were everyone else. Unless you have some Jewish background, we would be considered the Gentiles. Um, and they were called circumcised because they were circumcised. That's basically, I mean, it's a pretty self-explanatory label. Um, but in the Old Testament, in order to know God, you had to know Israel. You had to know the Jewish people. The promises of God, the covenants had all been passed down through Israel. The story of, the, of redemptive history took place through the Jewish people. And so if you wanted to know God, you had to know Israel. The problem was that these were two groups that were very hostile to one another. They did not like each other. They did not get along. And so it made it very difficult for anyone else to know God because the Jewish people did not like the Gentiles. In fact, here's a picture of 
the temple um, back in Jerusalem. And so what you've got is that big tall part up there. That's called the Holy of Holies. That's where the high priest would go in once a year, make sacrifices to, uh, to God. And then the next two courtyards there were the, the Jewish courts for the men and the women. That's where they would go to access God. And then you've got that big giant space surrounding the temple. That was the court of the Gentiles. That's all the further, all the closer they were able to get to God. As you see that big wall, there's actually an inscription on that wall that said, if you come in here, it's on you if you die. It's on your head. If you cross this line, it's like when you were kids and you go on a road trip with your siblings and you're in the back seat, like, if you cross this line, I'm going to wail on you. That's basically what it was. It may be like more extreme circumstances, like, I'm going to kill you, right? But you've got an incredibly divided people. Think about the most divided people you can think about right now. What are some people groups that are incredibly divided? Maybe you think like, ooh, Democrats and Republicans, like they're super divided. I think like, ooh, me and my in-laws, we're super divided. No, like I love my in-laws, but the problem with my in-laws is they're Seahawk fans, right? I'm, me and mine, we're 49er fans. Them and theirs are Seahawk fans, right? We're dressed in our red. They're dressed in our blue. I mean, Levi, if we even like talking about the Seahawks, the Levi is like, ooh, boo, Seahawks, right? I'm raising them right. That's the way it's supposed to be. No, I love my in-laws. We're not divided at all, except for sports. But, I mean, really, when you think about how divided these two people groups are, or were, it reminds me of a lot of what I see today in our world. We are an incredibly divided people. We are divided along political lines, along racial lines. I mean, I could bring up all number of things like, oh, build a wall, don't build a wall. Have Obamacare, don't have Obamacare. Seal the borders, don't seal the borders. I could go on for hours. We are incredibly divided, Okay. Um, And Paul says, remember this. Remember that you were divided, okay? Uh, Remember that you were at one time without hope and without God. And it reminds me of our original vision, Discovery's original vision, love people one at a time. When Aaron came to Discovery, came to Davis, he, he saw a group of people that were separated from Christ, that needed their love, and that's what he did. He came and he brought them love. Now, why is it important that we remember this? Let's keep looking. Why does Paul want us to remember where we came from? Let's look at verses 13 through 16. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might... Sorry, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. But now, man, those are like two of my favorite words in the Bible because preceding the but now was you are without hope, you are without God in the world, but now, but now, I mean, those are awesome words, but now you have hope. You have been, re- yeah, let's celebrate that. Where's my thing at? There it is. Yeah, Amen. But now, by the blood of Christ, we are reconciled. It's nothing that we did. There's nothing that the Jews and Gentiles could have done to reconcile years of hatred. Nothing. Nothing. We talked about it last week. James said there's nothing that you could do to make yourself alive in Christ. It's only by faith in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember, don't forget that Christ brought you together. We were reconciled through the blood of Christ because the gospel is for all people. It wasn't just for, yeah, amen. It wasn't just for the Jews anymore. It was for everyone. This is the message that the world so desperately needs to hear. I don't want to hear from any more celebrities about how they feel. 
I want to hear from more Christians about what Christ has done for them. That's what I want to hear. No more from the celebrities. This is why we have a downtown office. Because we want to be surrounded by people who need to hear the message of Christ. Who need to hear that Christ came and shed his blood for you. That's why we're downtown. Christ came and he broke down the walls that separated Jew and Gentile. Christ came and he broke down the walls that separate us. And Christ came and he broke down the walls that separated us from God. And the reason he did that is because God has a heart for reaching the nations. He doesn't just want to reach one nation. He wants to reach them all. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we have access to the Father. And when we are reminded of that, we are compelled to let go of our hostility and spread the gospel. When the world sees two people groups that usually don't get along suddenly doing life together, that's when they see Jesus. And that is earth-shattering. That's not something you see every day. That is earth-shattering. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. He being Jesus. You know, some of us were near when we found Jesus. Some of you may have grown up in a household where your parents got you up every Sunday morning, got you dressed, took you to church, you memorized the Bible verses, you went to Awana, you went to youth group, you went to all of the camps, you sang all the songs, you knew, you knew everything there was to know. You, you spent time in the Bible. And at some point along that journey, Christ came, captured your soul, and you fell in love with him. But for some of you, you were far when Christ found you. Maybe you didn't have parents who got you up every morning to take you to church. Maybe you came from a broken home and your parents weren't there. Maybe you didn't get to spend time in youth groups or in camps reading the Bible, and you're incredibly grateful that we put the scriptures up on the screen and the page number because you have no idea where to look. Maybe you got caught up in addictions and idols, but somewhere along that journey, Christ came, and he spoke peace into your hostility and rescued you. That is the church that God is building. That is the church he's building. Yeah, amen to that. Celebrate. Where's my thing? Keep losing it. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. We'll call him John because that's what his name is. Um, I met John when he was 24 years old. He had just come back from serving in Afghanistan, and he moved into the house next to me with his grandma. And I got a phone call one morning from his grandma saying, hey, could you try and get Johnny to go to church with you? Because she knew that I was involved with church, and I was working there. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to. And so over the course of the next several months, I would go and I'd knock on the door and I'd invite John to come and he'd shoot me down and I'd go back and I'd keep pursuing him. I'd relentlessly pursue him, something I'm really good at. You can ask my wife. It's one of my spiritual gifts. Um, <laughs> it's how I won her heart. Uh, true story. Um, so over the course of the next several months, I pursued John, got him to come to church, worshiped alongside him, shared the gospel with him, talked to him all about Jesus and what Jesus could do for his life. And he kept saying to me over and over again, man, you don't know what I did over there. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the, the women I've slept with, the people I've taken advantage of, the drugs, the alcohol I've done. You don't know. And I continued to share the gospel. And I will never forget the night that I got to lead him to the Lord. Mm. I will never forget being on the floor of my best friend's office, looking at this man weeping as Christ came and spoke peace into his hostility and brought him near because that, that is the church that God is building. Because God is building a people, not a place. He's building us as a church, not a place. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. And Paul echoes this in Romans when he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our Lord. Amen to that. We are all sinners. At one point, we were either near or we were far, but we were all sinners. And Christ came and he spoke peace into our hostility and he rescued us. And Paul says, remember that. Don't forget that. Let's keep going. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." So you get this language of strangers, aliens, and citizens. Have any of you ever traveled overseas, spent time traveling, yeah, gone overseas? It's a little bit different because you're no longer a citizen. And being a citizen gives you some rights, maybe some protections. My wife and I, several years ago, spent some time in Europe. And we went to Austria, and we had rented a car. We thought, oh, we're just going to drive around. And driving in Europe is, for the most part, okay, unless you go to, like, Italy. Then it's just crazy. But driving through Austria, I was in this line of cars, and we're all making this left-hand turn. Cars, buses, and we're driving along, and I make the left-hand turn, and the next thing I know, I'm getting pulled over. The cop walks up, and he taps on the window, and I roll it down, and he goes, oh, you made an illegal left-hand turn. And I, I look at him and say, well, all the other cars made the left-hand turn. He goes, yeah, but that wasn't a turn that you're allowed to make. I'm like, well, sorry? He goes, that's a 20-euro fine. And I had to pay the guy right out of my window 20 euros for him to let me go because he knew that I didn't belong there. He knew that I was not a citizen of Austria, that I was a foreigner, and he took advantage of that. And Paul is saying that you, now that you have remembered what Christ has done, now that you have let Christ speak peace into you, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. You are citizens. You belong here. He goes even further, and he says that you are like members of a household. You're not guests, but you're household members. Ben Franklin, our founding father, has this hilarious quote. It says, house guests are like fish. They begin to stink after three days. You guys have some experience with that? You have some house guests that come and stay a little bit too long? Yeah. My sister-in-law's flying down right now, staying for five days. That's two past the three-day limit. It's going to smell bad, I think. I'm just kidding. I really hope she doesn't listen to this. I'm sorry. I love you. It really is great when she comes down. But what Paul is saying is that you aren't a guest. You belong here in this house now. You've got a key to the front door. You've got your own room where you can put up your Justin Bieber poster. Like, you belong he goes even further and he says, man, we're building a household together. We're building a temple together. You are heirs with Christ. He echoes this again in Romans 8. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul is saying that we are made one in Christ. And now we are heirs with Christ. Christ wants to present us, the church, unified as one body to the world. He even prays this to God in John. He prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When the world sees us as one, that's when they see Jesus. When the world sees us let go of our hostility and our preferences and our differences to glorify him, that's when the world sees Jesus. So what do we do now, church? Where do we go from here? We've seen that Christ came, that he took two groups that were hostile together, and he brought them together. We've seen that God is building a church made up of all of us, a people from different backgrounds. 
And we have seen so many awesome things that God has done for us. But where do we go? Why is Paul telling us to remember this? Let's just look at a couple of verses in chapter 3 to get some of those answers. First off, let's get some clarity here on verses three and 4, four through 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostle and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's saying, remember, that you guys are all together in this now. It's not just about one people group. It's about all of you. Don't forget that. This mystery has now been revealed. It's not a mystery anymore. He gave us the answer. The mystery is we are together. It's about everybody. And then my favorite from chapter 3 so far is verse 10. Why, why do we remember this? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. God is using us to make his wisdom known. That's why we need to remember this. Because God is using us. All of us. As broken as we are, both near, both far, and everything in between, God is using us to make his wisdom known. And I love that Paul uses the word manifold. It basically means multifaceted. Imagine like a diamond has many different sides. And if you've ever been into a jewelry store, you'll notice it's always well lit because when the light hits the diamond, it sparkles. And when we come together, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, overcome our hostilities, and we present that to the world, that is when God's glory sparkles. That's when the world sees Jesus. When we come together and we understand what Christ has done for us, we are compelled to get uncomfortable, to cross walls of hostility, and spread the gospel. The greatest divide that we face is not a political divide. It's not a racial divide. It is a divide of holy God and sinful man. That is the greatest divide that we face as a world. And when we spread the message that Christ came out of his comfort zone, and shed his blood for us, that's when the world sees Jesus. That's when his glory sparkles. Because then the world gets to hear the message that the church is for all people. You know what? Our, our message here, our vision as a church, is that we are a church reaching this city to change the world. Because we believe that the gospel is for all people. We believe that it can change the world. This is a map that uh, G.R. Thompson made uh, a while ago. And it just shows some in the last three years of the people who came to Discovery and have gone to different places to spread the gospel, who have gone out. Hey, yeah, amen, let's celebrate that. Where's my noisemaker? I mean, we've got people like Kim Habib, who we prayed for this morning, who came to Discovery and then left again to go and be a missionary in Haiti. People like Tom McMillan, who came and went to Africa and then came back and got refreshed and are now serving in Southern California with crew to spread the gospel. For the last 15 years, church, we have seen God build a people here at Discovery. Our history has never been about one person, a lead pastor, or programs. It's always been about spreading the love of God to people, sharing the gospel. So, where are we going? Where are we going, church? We've seen where we've been. We see what God has brought us from. And if you ask me to answer that question of where we're going, we're going where God leads us. That's where we're going. Because for 15 years, we've seen God faithfully lead us. And as we've seen this morning, he's been leading us for a lot more than 15 years. He has continually provided for us as his church. And we need to, as his church, pour into one another so that we can spread the gospel. 
I want to read this quote for you in closing. It's by Charles Spurgeon. He's an old-time um, preacher in uh, the UK from the 1800s. And he says this about the church. Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had ever joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. God is using the people that he has built up here to spread the gospel. If you've ever gone to the front of our website, Jason, if you could bring that up, it says, come as you are, discover Christ, and never be the same. The church is made up of all of us. Come just as you are. No pretense necessary. No one here has found this place perfect. No one here is perfect, and you'll never find anyone here that's perfect. And so we say, come as near, as far, as broken as you are, and discover Christ, because we believe that it is life-changing. We believe the message of Christ will radically change your life. In a few minutes, we're going to enter into our, our response time. And usually during this time, we, we spend time in prayer, we take communion, and we worship. And we're going to do the same thing. And I encourage you in that time of prayer to be with God. If you were near when Christ found you, celebrate that. If you were far when Christ found you, celebrate that. I would encourage you to pray for unity. Pray that God would continue to bring us together as a people. I would tell you to thank God for his continued faithfulness to us as a people, as a church. And I would tell you to pray for boldness, that as we leave here, we are reminded of what Christ has done for us. That when we see those people at stop signs and we wonder about their lives, that we're no longer wondering, but that we can speak to them about what Christ has done. I would encourage you, when you are ready, to come and take communion and celebrate what Christ has done for us. Celebrate that he reconciled us to God, that we are no longer without hope and without God, that we have hope. Celebrate that he tore down those walls of hostility between us, but most importantly, that he tore them down between us and God. And when you're ready, I would encourage you to worship and surrender. Lift your hands and celebrate that we have a God who loves us and that we have a, a church that is built on Christ as his cornerstone. Worship. Church, I don't have like a 10-step like a plan for you. You don't have like here's all your next steps in bullet point form. I basically have one call to action for you, and it's a call to unity, a call to remember where we came from. Remember how Christ rescued each of us and how the realization of that can change our lives and the lives of the people around us. Church, we are in a season of transition as we look for a new lead pastor, and I believe that God is going to provide the perfect person when he is ready. But I also believe that God is doing something very special in this time that we are waiting. I believe that God is bringing us together in ways that we have not been brought together before, that in this season of transition, God is going to lead us to remember his faithfulness He's going to lead us to serve better together, to care for one another together, to love one another, to build unity together. And in so doing, we're going to let the city of Davis see who God is. We are going to sparkle God's glory to this city. And when God provides that new lead pastor, he's not going to inherit a church that has put up walls of hostility between one another. He is going to inherit a church that is unified, that remembers what it is that God has done for them where he has brought us, 
and where it is that he is going to lead us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are so faithful. For the last 15 years, we have a church have seen your faithfulness, God, even as recently as last week when you provided an anonymous donation to help supply the funds that we need to continue to serve this city, God. Your faithfulness is so good. And Lord, I pray that we would not forget that, that we would remember your faithfulness, that we would remember what it is that you have done for us, how you have reconciled us through your blood, God. Lord, and we are so grateful that you have done that. Lord, if there is anyone here who has not yet experienced the goodness of your grace and your love, Lord, I pray that you would move through them. Lord, and that they would be stirred to go to the prayer corner. We will have people there waiting, God, that they would be inspired to come and know how you can speak peace into their hostility, how you can draw them near, and how they can be fellow heirs and members of this household. Lord, we pray that you would continue to unify us, that you would that we would be that light that sparkles, God, for the city of Davis. That we would make your gospel known. Because we know, God, that you are building a people. You're not just building a place. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen.